0: Welcome back to Love, Life, and Legacy, the official podcast of heaven and earth. And we just want to open up your minds and hearts a little bit by inviting a doctor. His name is Dr. Tyler Hendricks. And no, he's not a surgeon, but he will perform open spiritual heart surgery on you and give you a bunch of vitality elements and give you a bunch of wisdom we can do brain surgery spiritual brain surgery on you too today Sammy's interviewing him about his views and his experience with the unification movement as it pertains to sex and also his views and theories on on a variety of very important topics so enjoy Dr. Hendrix is always an entertaining guy he's very much alive If you ever meet him, you can ask him to do some yoga moves and you will be very impressed because he's super flexible physically, he's spiritually and emotionally flexible. He's just an all-around cool dude. So please welcome Dr. Tyler Hendricks.
1: Hello, hello, hello. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to our next episode of the Love, Life & Legacy podcast. And I'm here with an incredible special guest the one, the only, in the entire universe, Dr. Tyler Hendricks. Wow.
2: Wow. Wow.
1: Hey, it's good to have you with us here. Thank you. Yeah, good to evening. be here. And you know, Dr. Hendricks, you have one of the most colorful backgrounds that I know of, and you'll have to fill in the gaps because I know there's a lot I'm missing. But from what I do know, starting out as a, a rock star you're an accomplished guitarist. And then at some point you had a, you know, you were in America during the, the hippie wave. And so you're really into yoga. You made your way to university studying math. And somewhere along the road, you joined the church. And somewhere along the road, father sent you to get your doctorate and you studied church history. Somewhere along the road, you became the president of the American church movement. And now you're teaching at both the university level and what do you call it, the graduate level or the doctorate level at the yeah. Function Seminary and at Sunbury University. If you could fill us in between all that really colorful experiences that you've had.
3: (laughs) Well, I, I realized that I maybe could have been a rock star. I wasn't really a star, but, you know, we played in various clubs in the Bay Area. But I realized that all the rock stars that I liked their music were all unhappy people. And I thought, look, if they've achieved this rock star status, but they're not happy, what's the point? And also I realized that the rock music, the music industry is part of the, what we call back then the uh, military industrial complex, Mm. just like everything else. It's just money Mm. and all kinds of, you know, I just realized this is a fallen world. I'm part of this fallen world. I don't like it. Mm. And so I was looking in all kinds of places for alternatives and I met the one that, that is from God, and that's, you know, us. <laughs> that mm-hmm. would be us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, so that was 1973. You, you asked about memories of true parents. So because my colorful story, kinda, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll connect it with true parents. Yeah, One was my various assignments. Oh, I guess the first was my matching. I mean, direct, you know, everything's indirectly connected to true mm-hmm. parents, but this is direct. I was invited to send my photo to Korea. If I, and maybe you'll get matched. Send a photo. Back then, 1978, uh, 78, we never heard of photo matchings before. But anyway, I sent the photo. And the story is that I heard later that father was holding my photo, looking at it. And he's in a room full of Koreans, including, you know, Korean men and women. And he called up one and he's looking at my photo and he's looking at her. And then he said to her, Are you really sure you want to? get matched today at this time. She decided no. The answer was no. And she left. And at that point, my wife was way in the back, my future wife. And she was very uneasy about being there. She was there because her parents told her to be there. She wasn't very active in the church at all. Her parents joined. She's a Jacob child. And so she saw this other sister walk out at father's direction. And she said, oh, this would be a good time for me to walk out. (laughs) So she got up. And she's making her way out of the room. And Father saw her and said, hey, you know, called her. Hey, you, you. Mm-hmm. He knew her. He knew her family. He knew her parents. So she, she comes. He matched me to her. Wow. <laughs> anyway, there's more to it than that. But, okay, second is Father's sending me to different missions. When I finished a PhD, I presented my, doc- my dissertation to Father. Father signed it. And it's, it's a celebration for a birthday. Jung first birthday. Father, oh, you can sit down here, sit down at your parents' table, you know, with a bunch of other people. And then Father uh, says, oh, you did a great job. Man. Thank you. Thank you. You're the know, first one gig. Or, thank you. Thank you. Okay. Now you are the president of Ocean Church.
1: Oh, my goodness. And, uh,
3: yeah. <laughs> and now uh, give, give an acceptance speech. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. Then four or five months later, I mean, I knew the reason Father sent me to Ocean Church wasn't to be the president. of what They didn't need a president. But anyway, it was to go fishing, to get my brain out of the library and everything and just get out there and do some, you know, be a man. So I went fishing. I caught. On one day, I caught my boat. Caught two tuna on one day. Mm. That was like amazing. Nobody does that. Caught the first one. And father was there in the fleet. You would always take, when you caught a tuna, you'd hook it up to your boat and you'd walk, you'd go by New Hope, father's boat you know offered a father and so we did that early in the morning father saw great. Right? we went back out again because it was only like 11 in the morning we caught another one and then we went by father's boat mm-hmm. and somebody called father to the deck and he was like i've never seen father like that <laughs> <laughs> anyway that was a good memory
1: yeah, and I um, mean, for some people that may not understand the, the context we're talking about a tuna is like a thousand pound fish they're huge
3: at the biggest yeah they were big they were big oh yeah Ours were around 600 pounds or so. They were kind of small, 600 pounds. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm.
3: Anyway, that was more average. Okay, then at the end of the summer, there's a leaders meeting in East Garden. And Father starts talking about going to Alaska, how great fishing is in Alaska. And that's a new frontier. We're going to go to Alaska. We're going to make fishing factories. And we're going to, you know, all these visions of Alaska. And it's great. Hendrix, Hendricks, you're ready to go to Alaska? You're an ocean church leader. You know, you're ready to go to Alaska? And I said, yeah, yeah, I'm ready. Mm -hmm. And I really felt it from my heart. Oh, earlier than that, in that same meeting, Father called me up and said, give a testimony. Mm -hmm. I'm not good at testimonies at all. (laughs) But on that day, I gave a good testimony. I was talking and talking about, I was getting the spirit of the tuna spirit. Father called the tuna spirit. And then I turned to Father. I was standing right next to him. I said, Father, how long should I talk? And he said, he smiled. He says, you can talk forever. Mm
2: -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
3: Oh my goodness. I remember that. So so he says, Henry, are you ready to go to you know Alaska with me? Yes, I'm ready to go. He says, Okay, you just graduated from Ocean Church. Now you're the national assistant, national director of carp.
2: Hmm. That was it.
3: So I went through various take the time, but yeah. other steps where father just kind of flipped me around upside down, turned mm-hmm. me over spanked me and sent me somewhere else. Mm -hmm. Mm
2: -hmm. (laughs)
3: And it was great. 1973, there was a 21-city speaking tour, Mm -hmm. and I was on a team in Boston. And so on the second, father and mother and their little party stayed in a house in the suburbs in Boston. And I was on security. So there was two brothers there every night who stayed up all night doing, quote-unquote, security. And on the second night, I was one of those two brothers. And father and mother came. Everybody had a little meeting. They talked in the living room about the newspaper articles and stuff. When Everybody went upstairs. Suddenly, this really loud, loud noise came from upstairs. And it was like a, a war movie. It was like bombs and machine guns and shouts and like this. It was just filling the whole house. And I thought, well, obviously... Two parents are responsible for that. You know, nobody else is going to turn on this blasting noise. Mm. If two parents went to bed, you know,
2: mm.
3: why would they have this blasting, blasting noise filling the whole house on after they went to bed?
1: Right before they're going to bed. Yeah. Time to relax. Hmm. <laughs> I wonder. They're making noise. I just figured
3: they must be making noise. <laughs> what would they be doing that makes a lot of noise? Brushing their teeth? <laughs> I didn't go up to check. <laughs> Open yeah. the door. Ah. Okay. Or oh, this, I don't remember this, but it's in my notes because I'm looking through my old journals, notebooks, and stuff, and I found this. Father said, "Or no, no, even you no, know, it was in uh, t-parent, tparents.org. It was on some speech there. Hendricks. He said, every now and then, Father, you know, because I was a president, he said, Hendricks, Hendricks, you have people don't understand convex, concave. You have to explain to everyone.'" Convex concave, which means, of course, it's sex, right? right? Yeah. I came across that years later. I have, I think, wow, okay, absolute sex. Mm. Uh, one time at East Garden, sometimes father did this with other couples, but mm-hmm. he called up my couple
2: mm-hmm. you know,
3: during a hundoke, and he told me to hug my wife. My wife and I should kiss. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'd seen him do that once or twice, but no. that's cool. You know? oh, that's adorable. And he said, no, no, I. Come on, you have to really kiss like that. <laughs> so like, I grabbed her, like I swirled her around a <laughs> circle a few times, you know, while kissing. And there was that. And another time at East Garden, Father said, not directly to me, but everyone who was there, I, don't, I forget the context, but he said, no more sex. Everybody should abstain from sex. Sure. All the best couples abstain he didn't I don't remember again the reason the context but he said that there were two different mornings when he said that I felt like the the
1: Lord did the time period I I guess you don't really remember it would have been the mid or no like how long to abstain for that's what I mean he He didn't
3: didn't say and it was probably around in the early 2000s it was before (laughs) they moved back to Korea because Mm. I sort of thought I wonder who's going to, the sign of of people's faith then will be if they have children. (laughs) And I saw, I was sort of keeping that in my mind and like Mm -hmm. a year or two later, some of the true children had children. So I figured, oh, somebody's not following Father's direction. Mm -hmm. Those are my direct experiences with true parents related to sex. Yeah, anyway, he said, before we started our family, I was at a meeting with father with PhD students. Mm -hmm. Three or four times he met with us at East Garden. And there was a kind of a break time and father was just standing there looking out the window. And I went up to him and I showed him a picture of my then fiance, you know, to thank you for matching me to this lady here. (laughs) And uh, father said, you're both too gentle. What are you going to do? I said, we'll create a gentle race. (laughs) That was my answer. But still, Father made that comment. Mm. And my wife, she seems gentle, but she's a dragon. She was born in the year of the dragon. You know? mm. I was born in the year of the mouse.
2: So mouse and dragon.
1: Wow. So it's just amazing that you actually have stories to pull from and even journals that you can look back on and all these personal experiences. That's so cool. And most of the people that actually listen to our podcast, they're under 30, if not under 25, right? Yeah. Maybe they don't have even memories of ever even seeing true parents, right? Just yeah. people that they heard about. And so it's cool. It's just nice to hear about. Yeah. Also, your, I guess, open arm in this, just your trust and your faith to just go wherever true father led you. And it created a very diverse life for yourself and your family, I'm sure.
3: Very. Yeah. My goal in life was never to leave. At uh, one time, I was a leader of International Religious Foundation. Mm-hmm. and or the and then and act anyway and i got a direction that during the god conference down in somewhere trinidad or something go to new york father wants you to come to the leaders meeting in new york it was right after we all the god conference was right around god's day mm-hmm. january 1st at that time january 1st go so i went with all these professors and religious leaders and you know there's a lot of work but go to new york so i left took a taxi from the airport I flew, I took a taxi, got to the New Yorker, walked up the stairs to the second floor, you know, the meeting was. And as I approached the door to that meeting room, I heard my name Mm -hmm. being boomed out by Dr. Bohi Pak, you know, the translator, on a list with other names, my name. I walked in, come to the front, you know, he's like that. I walked right up to the front. The only place to sit was right in front of Father. Okay, you are now the regional coordinator of New England. <laughs> oh my goodness! <laughs> oh yeah! And I was so like I could feel my temperature going up and my face turning red, and I was just so angry at father. I mean, I had like three,
2: yeah, no, two
1: kids and at the time. Right. We, we don't at, want at we time, don't want people to, we don't want people to think that you don't remember how many children you had. <laughs> <laughs> At the time.
3: <laughs> I had two children. Anyway, then here's what happened. And it's happened to me more than once. Same way. You know, I was really, really angry. And then I just decided, just do it. And I do it. And then being a regional coordinator, I was under a regional director, a Korean. And so after the meeting where we took a break and I caught up with him, I found my regional director and, and I grabbed his briefcase I'm here, I'm your assistant. (laughs) And then everything left, I felt so good. I felt fine. Whenever you go through that anger or complaint or depression or whatever it is, and just unite with the direction, change your direction, 180 degrees, whatever. Yeah, I did that many times. And God, you know, from my vantage point, being 72 years old, you look back, and I'm starting to write my memoir, by the way, and wow. you look back, you see how uh, God put everything together and how once it's over, it looks like it was all predestined. So I call it post-destination <laughs> because it's like oh, everything I did was so that I could be doing what I'm doing now. And if I hadn't done all that stuff, which God was telling me to do, but I didn't know where it was going one step at a time. You can't see very far ahead. I didn't. Yeah. Just really give yourself, forget about yourself.
1: You know, you left yourself open just to, like you said, turn 180 degrees and at whatever father directed, you were always receptive and even challenges of suddenly arriving in a taxi and then suddenly an entirely new mission and how hard that is to do just as an individual, just trying to orientate what your responsibilities are and kind of like think about some direction in your life. But you weren't just an individual. You also, you know, you had your wife and you had a family that you're also responsible for. And just how in- remarkable it is to make, to be able to do both of those things, to care for your family and then to care for the entire Providence. So I want to give a shout out to them. Right. Um, you have five children. Five, five. Yeah, five children and good friends with one of them. Right. Me and my wife are. And, okay. Uh, yeah, that's good. Thank you. Yeah, and I would say you did a fairly good job raising them. I mean, we're, me and my wife are willing to be friends with them, so we like them. So <laughs> they they turned out pretty good, I think.
3: Oh, they were so sorry when you
2: left North Carolina. <laughs> yeah. Right, so I,
1: I wanted to acknowledge that point of the challenge that you must have been faced with at the time of not just worried about what your father wants of you, but just sort of what you need to do for your family as well.
3: Yeah, I'm grateful to my wife for just. Being such a trooper, I could always depend on her, and having faith in true her parents herself. Mm-hmm. And then just knowing that the principle that God will take care of you. God will, I mean, not in looking at it in a lazy way, but that it'll work out. You know, it'll work out.
1: Shout out to your wife. Like, yeah, not bad for someone who almost walked out of the matching room. And then... <laughs> <laughs>
3: Yeah, well, now we're getting into, the, again, the sex issue. or or subject.
1: Um, Yeah, yeah. So just with your experience knowing True Parents and your in-depth study of True Parents' words, that's something that I'd be really eager to hear from you about, like how your understanding of what True Parents say about sex, or just your understanding of True Parents and how that's connecting that to sex, your understanding of the sexual relationship, of the way God had designed sex. And so whatever you have to say about that.
3: Well, I want to turn the listener's attention to this speech here, Mm-hmm. In search of the origin of the
1: universe. We'll link that actually, but for those just listening, then where is the best place for people to find that?
3: Well, it's on uh, tparents.org. It's in the Pyeonghwajeong, and we published this in the U.S. back in the 90s. It's in here. A yeah, true family and world peace. All right. a Lot of this is a really we did a good job. A lot mm-hmm. of good speeches. That was a time when true parents. It was the 90s, and true parents were giving a lot of really, really amazing speeches back then, you know, deep stuff. Okay, so this speech, father gave it at the founding of the Family Federation Mm -hmm. in Washington, D.C., 1996, and this was the closing banquet, and George H.W. Bush was there, and Gerald Ford, ex-president, they were both ex-presidents at the Mm -hmm. time, and Margaret Thatcher had sent a congratulations video. A lot of big, big. it was in Washington, D.C. Major people were there. I was not there, unfortunately. But You are catching tuna? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know where I was. I was involved. I was there in the venue. I was involved with the whole thing. But I don't know. For some reason, I wasn't at that banquet. Mm. But I heard, Father just walked among the tables, mm. all these people. And he's talking about the sex organs. He's just talking about the sex organs. The whole speech is about the sex
2: organs Mm -hmm.
3: and absolute sex. This is the first public speech, at least, where the term absolute sex came out. And Peter Kim, his translator, told me later he was just sweating bullets. You know, he didn't Mm -hmm. expect it. It was all extemporaneous. And he's having
1: to Really off script, I imagine. right? There was the prepared speech and then. That didn't no, there was walking all, around it, the tables or talking about. Sex. No
3: prepared speech, even. There was okay. nothing. He was. It was all extemporaneous. And there's lines like, "How much do you like your sex organ?" He's talking to these Bush and Barbara Bush and who are all these people. Do you like your sex organ? <laughs> okay. So, and I've read it many times. And the points he makes in 1996, first of all, are so like now we see 25 years later how ahead of his time father was the sex that we are given is an absolute and it is not a matter of choice this whole gender fluidity thing father we had never heard of it back in 96 but now it's destroying so many people's lives Mm. i was born in a woman's body i'm really a man father said very clearly the sex that we are given is not a matter of choice. It's an absolute. We did not think it. We didn't want it. But without knowing the cause, result, or process, we're born a certain way. And that's it. Okay, then Father, that's right in the beginning of the speech. Then Father talks about, he brings up the first causal being. He says, who is that causal being? Is it male? Is it female? Then he says, he doesn't answer. He says, you can call it God or whatever you want to call it, but it must exist. And then he says, oh, God possesses the dual characteristics of male and female. How did the universe begin? Then he says, let us put aside our discussion of God and consider humankind. And then he starts talking about sex organs. Mm -hmm. And he never comes back to the nature of God. It's all about the sex organs. And he ends up telling the people, go back to your countries. And you should publish in the media about absolute sex. And if you do you will never perish. Please try to spread Reverend Moon's message through television or other media. You will never perish. I want you to center on the absolute sexual organ, unique sexual organ, unchanging sexual organ, eternal sexual organ. (laughs) Okay. And the whole point, okay, he didn't connect the dots, but I'm connecting the dots. The origin of the universe is the sexual organs, God's sexual organs. There's another speech I found. I mean, Hundoke, he said, does God have that? thing dangling down between his legs like men do he doesn't answer he doesn't answer okay and does he got a female sexual organ here's the thing this thing dual characteristics you know we think oh dual characteristics oh that's like hot and cold or Mm -hmm. high and low or i mean that's a certain kind divine principle calls those the correlative dual characteristics
2: Mm
3: -hmm. but most of his discussion about the dual characteristics are not about that because he says here, until now, you may now not have thought it virtuous to value the sexual organs. He's telling all these people, mm-hmm. He's standing next to George Bush. From now on, you have to value them. What will the world be like in the future? If it is a world that values the sexual organs, absolutely. Will that world be good or bad? Will it prosper or perish? This is not a joke. When God was creating human beings, into which part did he invest the greatest creative effort the eyes the nose the heart the brain all of these organs eventually die do they not again father doesn't follow that but if you follow the line of thought it is god invested the greatest great creative effort in the sexual organs and they do not die they do not die what do you mean they don't die they don't die because they contain the dna human dna is the logos it is god's logos male has it Female has it, and it combines together. It doesn't die because it's in your kids. You are in your children, and you will be in your grandchildren, and your great, you are in your lineage. Your physical body dies. The rest of your physical body, but your DNA doesn't die. It's there. You go to heaven, and you have a common base. You are still on the earth, and you have a common base with your descendants centering on what? Their sexual organ in which you are living, and therefore you can have, then when your children have blessed marriage, your grandchildren, great, 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 grandchildren, and divine principle, page 30 says, the whole cosmos resonates with true man and true woman, united together, Mm. love, sexual love, Mm. resonates. What does it mean?
2: Mm -hmm. All
3: of your ancestors, if they don't have anything else to do, Mm. they're resonating with that. And the angels, they're all resonating with it, with that love on the earth. Mm -hmm. Because physical love is the center of the cosmos, Mm -hmm. the song and the sung song, and male and female. Wow, that means I can live eternally. I can have sex with my great-great-great-grandchildren. Okay, so the ownership of eternal love lies with the opposite sex. The universe will judge you, or God will judge you as righteous or unrighteous according to this immutable law, that the ownership of eternal love lies with the Opposite sex. It that is the most basic criterion by which the universe functions. The universe functions according to the sexual union of male and female. Why then? Why do the sexual organs exist for love? Okay. Do you remember the talk I gave in New Jersey? It mm-hmm. kind of unusual talk about one, one and zero, zero and one, one and zero. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's all. This is all connected to that. The God is a uh, trinity. Mm-hmm. There's Heavenly Father, Heavenly Mother, and who unite, who are distinct individual persons who have a perfect love sexual relationship. And when you and your wife have a perfect love sexual relationship, you become one. You're still two, but you're also one. Chenogok is two, become one. So Father said, the hua, the word is il hua, and the hua, is a chemistry term. In chemistry, hydrogen, two become one, and you don't have the two anymore. You just have this one that they became. Mm-hmm. But he said, in my Chinese character, two become one. The two still exist as clearly distinct, defined, and and they become one. And that one is what? That one is heavenly parent. Because when you and your wife become one, as one, you become a parent. when that oneness becomes a child. Mm
2: -hmm.
3: You don't become a parent until you have a child. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The creation of the child is also the creation of the parents. Mm -hmm. And the parent is you and your wife as one. So it is a parent, singular.
2: Mm
3: -hmm. It's a singularity. Mm
2: -hmm. And you
3: become one in a unique way that time. And that one is incarnated and born as your child. God's child, Heavenly Parent's child, that has your DNA in a unique way. Okay, and the interesting thing is that that child is going to be either a male or a female, one or the other. Okay, the place where a husband and wife become one through their sexual organs, God wants to appear and meet us. Anyway, there's said, history emerges through marriage. And from marriage, nations appear, and an ideal world begins And this gets into the issue of governance, because I think governance, the other ideal government is based on the family model,
2: Mm -hmm.
3: marriage, where the man and woman have equal, distinct, unique, but equal, complementary positions and functions. Mm -hmm. And this is the thing about the ideal government also has the husband organ. (laughs) We use that, you know, the organ in terms of like a government or an organ of government or something Mm -hmm. like that and a feminine organ of government.
2: Mm. You
3: need to have both.
2: Mm. And
3: in the fallen history, fallen world, we have only government is masculine. And so it's all conflict, struggle, hierarchy. So we need a balance in government.
1: What does like a female government model look like?
3: Okay, this is uh, something that I'm aware of because of my involvement here in Cheung True Mother is talking about government to a few people. And she referred to, and they're trying to digest it, and i'm trying to digest it this is all going to be my take on what i heard she referred to a a position in korean tradition called the shinyo shinyo have you heard that word
1: no i don't i don't know
3: that one okay well apparently during a period of korean history and maybe been a long period there was a position of a woman called the shinyo who was the advisor to the king
1: and yeah i can the shin is like kind of god kind of character and yo is feminine woman. Uh, woman.
3: Yeah, she was like the number one shamanist, or yeah. you know, one of a, like that. The government should, that this was, like Mother referred to that in kind of a positive way. Oh, that mm-hmm. that's a characteristic of good governance, of paternal good.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Okay, that's where I stopped. I take it now, this is me, that there should be, that's the wife's branch, organ of government. And I work riff off of the Mormons. The Mormon hierarchy is priesthood is all men. They're the ones who run the church and the stakes and the, da, 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 you know, so forth to the highest level. It's all men. But they have the Women's Society. It was founded, the female is the Relief Society. All the women belong to the Relief Society. And the Relief Society is organized hierarchically to the world level, parallel to the church, you know, to the man's side. It's the Relief Society. And they have an entire building to themselves in Salt Lake City is the Relief Society World Headquarters. Hmm. And it happens to be the building that's closest to the temple, interestingly, Quisida, whatever. So to me, that's something like, okay, and then in the Catholic Church, we have, of course, the male monastic orders and the female monastic orders. So I think in the Tenor government, there should, just as in a family, there's the husband and there's the wife. And it's through their harmony. They have different points of view through harmonizing, what comes? Children come, household, you know, the whole thing comes. So we need branches of government that have distinct operational responsibilities related to the husband side. And those are going to be more like a husband, generally, I guess, external, take care of the making the money and bringing the food home and whatever. You know, anyway, the more external side. Of it. Mm-hmm. And then the woman's the more taking care of the children, education, And fine tuning everything. And there's a joke by Larry Moffat. He said, you know, when my wife and I got married, we decided that I would make all the big decisions. And she'd make all the small decisions.
2: Mm -hmm.
3: And you know what, in all the time years we've been married, we've never had to make a big decision.
1: (laughs) I assume that she's also responsible for deciding which is a big decision and which is a small one. <laughs> right,
2: right. <laughs> yeah. well, Anyway,
3: and so the female side would be more, I don't know, health, education, and welfare, stuff like that. I think moral values. I mean, Eve is a tree of knowledge of good and evil. Adam's a tree of life. Tree of knowledge of good and evil has a moral component to it from right mm-hmm. the get-go. Good. She's yeah, the I one who knows the good. difference. Life, tree of life, it just hey, I'm going, I'm going, I'm going, I'm going, go here, oh, I'm going, I'm going. oh, no, go over here, oh, I'm going. He just wants to get his yaya's out, but the uh-huh. wife knows, is supposed to know that. So I think the kind of, uh well, Father talked about absolute values, the moral foundation of the sciences, the moral foundation of the media,
2: mm.
3: that would be more connected. I mean, of course, everything's give and take, but it would be women's voice is very, very important there. Mm-hmm. And here's the thing also, that there's a position, this is husband and wife, position of the grandparents mm-hmm. and the children. There's three generations and they all have given. So the, so the government is actually a four position foundation mm-hmm. and the four realms of heart and the three object object purpose where everything is like relating to everything else harmoniously centered on God, on true love. Mm-hmm. That's the way government's supposed to work. and the fallen world government is hierarchical and it's an individual model and even the divine principle says our government should be based on the individual as a model but it also gives the family as a model there's both in the principle the individual model is mind body so who's you know there's the mind the brain and then there's all the stomach and the lungs and the, the, the so the question well who gets to be the brain everybody's fighting over who's the brain who gets to order the other people what to do that's the individual model as opposed to the family model, intergenerational. And the cool thing also about the family model is the children here, they're gonna be parents someday. And the parents are gonna be grandparents. We all participate in every, on every level, mm-hmm. you know? It's very organic, right? Mm-hmm. The family is organic. So government should be that way too. So, and I centered on love, which is sex organs. We get back to the sexual organs.
1: That was such a rabbit hole we went down for uh, just a a question I was curious about, based on what you're talking. Sorry if that puts you on a tangent from your main point. I appreciate you going deep into that.
3: It's it's really in my heart right now, because I think we're at the point, True Mother is at the point where we are in a position to work with governments, real-time governments. The small nations, fine, and we need to be effective. We can, at this point, implement and effect real governments that have sovereignty. And so we need to have a clear understanding of our own ideal. We're, they're not going to adopt our ideal overnight. We haven't even adopted our ideal, mm-hmm. you know. But we can, at least you need to, you start like, what's his name? Kavi or somebody said, you start with the end in mind, right? Mm-hmm. You got the end in mind is Chen And if we don't know clearly what does Chen look like, we've got to establish that. Then, and the, even, and it should be so convincing and so clear and right that everybody will like, say, yeah, that is the ideal. Yeah, I want to live there. Then, okay, well, let's, here's where we are now. So let's map out. Let's make a map to get there. And I think this is the time to do that. Yeah. 21, you know, it's 21, 2021 to 2027 when mother's on the earth with us is the time to do that. I'm excited and I'm kind of motivated, obviously. So that I took off from that, marriage is the uh, is the root of the nation. History from marriage, nations appear. Hmm. So not just my marriage, your marriage, individual families, but the marriage of the larger levels are married to each other. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, like these yeah, are I mean, marriage
1: relationships.
3: It's not like political stuff. Not like politics. It's like
1: I mean, <laughs> I can't even just simply trying to imagine. If a nation were to marry another nation, what would that look like? And what would their child look like? There's like a lot of, (laughs) you can have a lot of interesting conversations based on that, I think. (laughs) No, no, no. I mean, this, this makes me think about with just North and South Korea right now. It's like for, I mean, South Korea recognizes all North Korean citizens as South Koreans as citizens of the Republic of Korea. But, you know, for the rest of the world's viewpoint, are they're, they're separate countries, right? And okay. I mean, even, even that, like uh, these two have been separate for such a long time. And if they were to marry, so to speak, become one nation. And that, that was one example of some, what, what made me think about.
3: Well, the archetype there for me is Cain Abel, actually. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right. yeah, yeah. That, makes, that makes sense. Yeah. A nation is like a family. So one family doesn't, there's not like a wife family and a husband family marrying each other. That's not the way this right. system would work.
1: Okay. Um,
3: but within the nation, there's the marriage. Okay. Yeah.
1: And then, but
3: still, it's good. Creative thinking is good. We have to.
1: Yeah. Well, then, yeah, then I guess it'd be like a form of governance, right? That that gets formulated, and a marriage occurs in the nation, and the people of the nation, and the children, and the fruits of that. Yeah. Something like that. Well, yeah, you would be. There would be a civil. It was called a civil religion. It was an American scholar,
3: Robert Bella, who came up with this, that America, the United States, has a civil religion. There's Jews, Catholics, Protestants, Muslims, Buddhists, lots of, mm. but we all celebrate Fourth of July. We all celebrate Thanksgiving in some way, Memorial Day. We've got these, yeah, and Christmas, Hanukkah. And so what that is that we're all celebrating, even if we're Baptist or Catholic, no matter our particular religion, that's the civil religion. And that's what makes us a, a coherent nation mm-hmm. and his book was about this civil religion is starting to fragment everybody when he was right of course so chan from our the principle that we need to distill the civil religion that it, it's not oppressive on everybody it has space for okay you can go to the church you like or the mosque or the or not go to any at all it's okay but still, there's these general moral values, mm-hmm. and it's going to be centered on the family, and the blessing, and sexual purity, sexual abstinence before marriage, and absolute fidelity in marriage. And the parents try to impart. It's exactly what school of love is about.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And whether you're Buddhist or whatever religion you are, it's in your scriptures. These are the universal values. I wish UPF would come out and say, oh, by the way, everybody, here's what the universal values are that we all share, right? Because mm-hmm. everybody's original mind and conscience resonates with that. And, or at least the vast majority, the moral majority does. I mean, there will be naysayers for all kinds of reasons, but not many. And then that's what you put in the public schools. And that's what you put into the marriage, marriage laws. You know, there's these soft, mechanisms through which the state coordinates family life. The tax laws, there's tax incentives for being married, for having children, stuff like that. Children get pure love education. Parents get pure love education. Yeah. And then it filters out into the institutions of the society. As you know, and as Andrew Love, he's researches a lot about this, I know. Everybody gets happier and happier and more successful and more wealthy and what's not to like, you know everybody's going to love it. Mm. <laughs> well, this point about you you're the owner of your spouse's sex organ that's also in this speech here. Your sex organ belongs to your spouse, your spouse's belongs to you, and that's such a because that fundamental principle of the universe is that. The ownership of eternal love lies with the opposite sex. So that's such a a, a riddle, you know, a riddle. Mine belongs to you and yours belongs to me. But they only, they're designed to be one. But if you don't like mine or love mine, it's just such a complicated, subtle formula there. And even just preparing for this podcast, when I walk down the street, sometimes, And I see people, and I realize everybody has a sex organ. And, okay, I use the word when we say eternal. Your sex organ is eternal. The DNA is eternal like that. Non-temporal. It exists outside of time and space. It's Mm -hmm. eternal. It's non-temporal. Your sex organ is non-temporal. Everything else in your body is temporal. But Mm -hmm. something deep there is eternal. It's non-temporal. And that's true for everybody. Everybody's walking around with God in their underpants, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? Holy of holies. God is in your underpants. You're connected to God through your sex organs that you're walking around with there between your legs. Mm-hmm. Every human being. And every human being knows, and spirit world knows more than we do, that every male's sexual organ, every female's sexual organ, billions of billions, are designed to become one. Then, so who do you become one with? You know, that's the incredible you become one with, one you become one with is God. It becomes God. You and that person become God, become Heavenly Parent, because you're modeling what God did to create the universe. You are modeling the origin of the universe. You're creating a child in whom the whole universe is recreated in your child, just like recreated in me, mm. in yourself. So you are God, centered on your sex organs. That's why Satan... Lucifer wanted to own the sex organs because he knew if I own the sex organs, I'm God. I'm taken over from God. Mm. And because if I can do it based on the willingness of Adam and Eve to participate with me, then God can't say a thing because God is a God of love. And they did it based on love, a degraded form of love. But that's all there is. Okay, so God wants to own love. God wants to own love. Which means God wants to own my sex organ. Which means I have to give ownership of my sex organ to God. Well, yeah, of course I give my life to God. I give my, you know, I go fundraising. I go, I do what God wants. I do give my life to God. But ultimately, what you have to give God is your sex organ. When you give your sex organ to God, then it becomes available to your spouse. You can give it to your spouse by the same. But the mirror image is you. Get ownership of your spouse's, you receive ownership of your spouse's sex organ from God. So it depends on your spouse's relationship with God. First, your spouse has to give her, in my case, her sex organ to God. Mm -hmm. Then God and she can give it to me. Mm -hmm. And I have to, I should support her relationship with God. Mm -hmm. That's just something I'm just realizing now after many years Mm -hmm. of marriage. I should really support Sincerely deeply my wife's personal relationship with God. Yeah. The closer she gets to God, the closer and the closer I get to God, the closer we'll get to each other.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: I heard that from Juan Pil Kim, very father's first disciple mm-hmm. from the north came down. Wan Pil Kim said exactly that. It's like a triangle, and here's me and here's my wife. The closer we get to God, the closer we get to each other. So that's your front line is your relationship with God. Yeah, and so you support your wife's. My wife, I support my wife's relationship, I cheer it. You know, I pray for my wife's relationship to God and for God to work in her life. And if He can use me, so much the better. You know.
1: What an incredible deep dive into that last point about marriage, right? Really, and its role in, in our God. It's a vehicle for us to become closer with God in the end.
3: Yeah, 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 oh yeah, because God is married.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah.
3: God is the origin of marriage, heavenly father, heavenly mother, and then heavenly children. We completely become the mirror image of God. We become the incarnate God, mm-hmm. each one of us. We're the, that's why we're the owner of, supposed to be the owner of Chandler mm-hmm. As a couple, our family, the owner of Chandler Not me, you know, but our, wow. yeah, it all becomes in a way so simple. God is not complicated. God is a husband and wife. Mm-hmm united together in love and that's why i that's what every husband and wife should do
2: Mm -hmm. and
3: that's it Mm -hmm. we don't know need to go into this inner young song and outer young song and outer bit of a yeah (laughs)
1: yeah it's like the you laid out the theology of sex for us and
3: it is everything boiled
1: down that's what it comes down to even the that's why the father said where's who's god
3: he talks about his sex organs. Mm-hmm. That is so
1: radical. <laughs> yeah, I think if yeah, just your uh, enthusiasm for I know, thirty-year-olds who are already they feel crusty and like they've learned everything they need to know. They're ever going to learn, right? And you're seventy-two. <laughs> you said here at seventy-two, and you're just rediscovering new things again and again and again. And what a way to live! <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it takes time. But my wife, she started a condition
3: to read the divine pre- mm-hmm. for the first time in her life. She, and she said, I'm going to read it three times through by the end of the year, by whatever, some date. And she read it the first time and she's going, Oh, this is like so. I don't care. I don't understand. What's this about? You know, she's just kind of, uh, uh. but now she's on the second time because she knew, and I reinforced, you got to read it many times. The more you read it, the more you get it. And now she's reading it the second time, but she's getting she's getting it more. <laughs> it's so cool. Yeah, yeah.
1: And so uh, Dr. Hendricks is there. You know, for people listening in, they want to stay connected to whatever you're working on, and or they want to hear more from you. And I'm, I know you've got a bunch of stuff out there on the internet is sourced to you. So, like, uh, where would you point people to to know more about yeah, the work man. that you're doing, or if you'd want to let anyone know about whatever it is that you're working on now?
3: Well. In terms of internet, it's True Parents Way, and it is now being hosted on the uh, International Family Federation site, but you can just Mm -hmm. Google TrueParentsWay.com, and it's under construction. I should invest more in that, but I mean, I'm not the webmaster, but holding pattern right now, but it's at least it's online. There's a lot of good stuff, Mm -hmm. and it's like four or five years old. But there's a lot of good stuff there, really good stuff, actually. Because I go there sometimes and I just check it out and I'm like, wow, is said that, wow. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a whole Divine Principle series on it too, 42, 42 15 minute-ish lectures that go through the whole Divine Principle. Mm-hmm. A lot of people use that to educate. Their guests, spiritual children. So it's called the Path to Happiness. Yeah. It's on that website.
1: You're in the process of writing a memoir, you said, so people can look forward to that at some point.
3: Yeah, what I did, I finally got because I've been thinking I should write a memoir. I should, do that. but finally I got the kickstart was this: I want to tell my kids, and so I made a little group chat, and two grandkids are on it too, with those my children and two grandchildren, and every day I send them a little. I write a little segment, and I send it to them. You know, I want my, at least my children, I want my children to know what God did in my life. Yeah, so someday it'll come out, I hope. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Self-published. But it's really cool. Again, you're young, you know, all your listeners are young. So it does change when you get old. You know, in some ways, you're still learning, lifelong learning, and everything's fresh, and that's great. That's really where it should be. At the same time, you get a lot of perspective, and you want to make sure you don't get just kind of. I want to make sure I don't get trapped by my memories. I don't want to be trapped by my memories, but I want to honor. I want to honor God. This came from Augustine. He wrote. He was the first person to write his autobiographies, confessions,
2: mm-hmm.
3: and it was like for the glory of God. This is for God, not about me. It's about what God did. So I want you through me. If you can learn about God. That's why I'm writing. So I want to, yeah, experience. It's a process of appreciating God more, even, you know, what God did 50 years ago or whatever, more and learning more about God, getting closer to God now through that process. Another thing in this book is uh, understanding life and death. That's another speech Father gave. Father, God, is God happier when we are born into this earthly world? Or when we're born into the spirit world. <laughs> He's happier when we're born in the spirit world. <laughs> it's like, what amazing speech. The moment of our second, we experience the joy of living the finite realm of love in order to enter the infinite realm of love. It's a moment of our second birth. The realm of the infinite expansion of love. And if you're afraid to die, you don't know it means you're afraid to live. <laughs> you're afraid of your own life. You don't realize what it's about. And so this Dr. Yong, our leader in America's morning devotions every day are about just giving and giving, just giving and giving. It's really true. Yeah.
1: All right. Thank you, Dr. Hendricks. Yeah. Thank you. So much, everything you shared with us. Thank you, Sammy. Yes. So we'll see you next time.
2: Okay.
4: I hope you found that episode enjoyable. And before we go, I wanted to challenge you to take your life on, to take your life to the next level. And if you're struggling in any way with pornography, with masturbation, with issues of sexuality that just are not helping you at all, if you want to reclaim your life, reclaim your eyes and ears, your time, your energy, then take our free 15-day challenge. If you go to highnoon.org, you can find our 15-day challenge right there on the front page. Take it. It's absolutely free. No strings attached. We've designed it to help you gain some level of momentum in your journey of sexual integrity so that you can take the next step whatever that may be it could be to go to our deeper ascend program which is a 90-day program we have it could be to reach out to that accountability partner it could be to just take the whatever steps you need to take in your journey to build the life of heavenly sexuality that you deserve so go to highnoon.org right now if you want to break up with porn and start to get engaged with the life of your dreams and eventually marry it. Doesn't it sound nice? So go to highnoon.org to find all of those resources and more. It's been a slice.